0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I'm a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. All right, beloved, we're going to be in Leviticus again. Go ahead and turn to... Leviticus chapter seventeen. Keith and Catherine, so happy to see you all here! Can't wait to see little Teddy. While you turn there, uh, do we have the slide ready? Can you can we put that up by any chance, Josh? We have passed kind of the central, most important point of Leviticus, God's law, and that is the day of atonement. And I've mentioned uh, chiasms before, so I thought I would present another chiasm for us today. Uh, The law is written in this way intentionally, easy for memorization. I'm not an Old Testament scholar, but it's really easy for me to know what I'm dealing with in Leviticus because of the way in which Moses ordered this. Um, Even inside this chapter is a chiasm. I'm going to give you a break from that today. We're not going to be a chiasm club. We're going to be a church. Um, But I want to just show you what we have gone through and then what we will be revisiting and how it somewhat pivots a little differently as we continue to travel through uh, the law. So if you see chapters 1 through 7, this deals with worship, with the ritual and sacrifices that Yahweh requires of his people. And if you look at the end of Leviticus, chapter 22 through 27, again it's going to be addressing worship, but with festivals as well as rituals. Verses 8 through 10 deals with the priests, remember Nadab and Abihu, their story where they were slain, but before that, it showed how they were consecrated, how they were inaugurated into this position. Verses, that can't be right, is it? 22, that is totally wrong, I forgive me for that, 21 and 22, that's my dyslexia. It deals with the priests and the qualifications, how they are to purely live right. What do they do at home? What's their characteristic? What's their nature? Are they just a part of a line or are they consecrated inwardly as well as being prepared outwardly through washings and through blood and through sprinkling? And then we see in verses chapter 11 through 15, Israel is to be a holy people. So we have purification laws and Ritual purity. We have some really interesting chapters dealing with what they could eat, different discharges, fun stuff like that. Uh, The parallel section, chapters 17 through 20, is how they would be a holy people with purification laws and moral purity. So it's going to not just be so much what's on the outside, but what is on the inside. And we get a preview of that at the top of uh, chapter 18. You probably have a header there that's a good giveaway. And then chapter 16 is this day of atonement. This is when Israel has the high priest walking through the Holy of Holies, and it is cleaned. Israel, though they love the Lord, they are a sinful people, and they are ritually unclean people. And because Yahweh dwells among them, his sanctuary is contaminated. So on that day, the high priest atones for his sins, for the sins of the people, and the Lord's house is purified. We see a big pivot in chapter 17. We move from atonement language and we're going to start becoming more familiar with being holy, with sanctification. So we'll see that in verse, uh, chapter 17 all the way through to the end of this book. Hopefully you're in Leviticus 17. By now let's read the first two verses together. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, This is a thing that the Lord has commanded. So this is very customary of most of the chapters in Leviticus. This time we see that Moses again is on his own. Aaron is not beside him. And Moses is to share this not just to Aaron, not just to the priests, but also to the people, and this is how Israel's religion is far different from the pagans that surround them. There is no secret mysticism, codes, oaths said amongst others that the regular people are unaware of. God has written his law and he wants the, his people to have access to it. So Leviticus, we've talked about this before, is one of the first books Hebrew boys memorized. They used this book for reading and writing, and they could recite the entire thing, most likely. Most, it was common for them in this day. They didn't compete with Nintendo 64, or that's outdated. Nintendo or PlayStation, I'm really showing sure my age. Nintendo 64 is like 25 years old or something now. They had the capacity and the education of knowing God's law. So think about that. God has created a law and unlike the other religions, the true and living God wants you to know it. And then these homes discipled their children in knowing what he has said so that they can come to him. So that they can live in right relationship to him. So that... They can walk in true blessing and flourish. I hope that's your practice at the home. I got some Chick-fil-A gift cards coming my way. Thanks be to God as I got four out of the six able to recite those verses. Um, That's the first and I think only time WCC will reward with a gift card. But man, what just a momentary blessing. Those little Chick-fil-A fries and nuggets and, and all the rest. Let that be a testimony that we disciple our children in the law of the Lord. So Moses serves as a mediator once again, and Yahweh has instructions on how and where they're to handle sacrifice. So verses 3 through 7 is a treatment of the main animals for sacrifice. Verse 3. If anyone of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills outside the camp, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed on that man. He has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. The animals mentioned in this signal that this is sacrificial killing. This isn't someone just going off and hunting a deer or a gazelle, but the animals mentioned in this has one hearken to the animals used for sacrifice, particularly the peace offering here. And in the Hebrew, the word kill or slaughter, if you have an NSE, is most commonly used within sacrificial language. So when you kill this thing, there are certain rules that must be followed. This law bans the killing of sacrificial animals anywhere. To do so, it must be brought to the tabernacle. To be intentional here. Well, well why is that? I think we are an obscure. And this isn't something that's really emphasized throughout a lot of the Old Testament. But in this period, Israel is in the wilderness. And they don't know yet, I don't believe in redemptive history, they don't know that they're going to test God. They're going to be dwelling in the wilderness for 40 years. So as they are camped around this tabernacle, this tent, whenever they kill something, they are to bring it to the tent. We do find in Deuteronomy 12.20, As Israel enters into the promised land, they no longer have to follow this law. They're able to, if they live a great distance from the temple, the temple's in Jerusalem. They can kill an animal, treat it respectfully, and they do not have to come to the tent of meeting when doing so. So, you can look that up a little bit later in your time, Deuteronomy 12.20, but this brings up a really important part, and this is one of the convictions in my heart of why we're going through Leviticus. This law does change. We see that in the Old Testament, the law will change before we even get to Christ. So, it's important for us to realize, those of us that want to go back to the Old Testament and keep some of these traditions, do so with Great caution. A lot of these Old Testament laws point to how sick Christ is and how we need Jesus and a better substitution than a goat or a bull or an ox. So when you rush back to an old tradition, ask yourself, am I in some weird way saying this is greater than what Jesus has done on the cross? In the sake of being trendy or or orthodox in your own way, or super religious, ask yourself if the religious practices you keep, which might be great, ask yourself, am I using this as a little Christ? Am I using this tradition in a way to rely on it salvifically? And if that's the case, I ask that you would lay that down. And I ask that you be intentional in your religious practice. We don't just nonchalantly go through the Christian faith without thinking of what we're doing. In, in my Sunday school class, we're going through spiritual disciplines. We're, we're going to be thinking intently on Bible intake, on, on prayer, on, on fasting, on meditation, and other disciplines. But when you look at your Bible and you think, I'm going to pick up this custom, I want you to do so with caution. Now, we find that there is blood guilt to be imputed on the man that handles this animal or these animals incorrectly. Verse 4 says, blood guilt shall be imputed on that man. He has blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Why? Why? Well, that's in verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. We'll get to the why a little bit more detailed. What's the consequences that They don't follow God's law? Verse 4 tells us that man shall be cut off from among his people. Now, we in some respects get the cliff notes of how this is applied because we don't live in the Old Testament and we, we don't get the, the smells and the visuals. We don't even get to hear. We only see the word that is recorded in this text, it might be simply that if they mishandle animals and they don't respect the life and that these are used for sacrifice to God, that he's provided this life, if they neglect those things, if they think they can just be casual in this handling, the thread is, outside of God's covenant, to live in chaos or death. One's life is taken. Commentaries are very dogmatic on which one it is. And I honestly don't know which one it is. But both are serious enough for Israel to take note of what they are to do. Think about your life in this way. We have grace. God is abundant in love and in mercy. But take serious his, his worship. I want you to think serious about that. Take... Take serious, how do you exalt and worship the Lord? Going in verse 5, this is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field. They may bring them to the Lord, to the priest at the entrance of the temple, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of So going further, there are certain things which you are not to do you're not supposed to do sacrifices in the open field now this would just be so much more convenient so much more convenient but he's warning them against convenient worship here one it parallels the pagan practice of their day Not everyone wanted to go to a temple. Not everyone felt it necessary to go to a temple. It also paralleled the occults. Religious sacrifices done in secret and in magic. No, no. Something dies, you bring it to me. It might not be convenient. It might be an obstacle. But you come to me. And the question I have to ask myself... Constantly, and I'm asking you today: Is where do we become casual in our worship to God? And I say a little nervous because I'm wearing a polo today. But I knew I had to baptize someone. Give me some, some uh, grace there. But is, is dress is dress even the most important thing here? How do you come and prepare yourself for worship? It's really, in my mind, it's very easy. To put on nice clothes. That's very, but how are you preparing yourself inwardly as you enter the doors? That's harder to, to remove distractions and ready your mind as we come to worship God. This is not hearing a lecture from Daniel or a class from Daniel. This moment, we are following obediently what the Lord has told us to do in worshiping him as we read his word and we meditate and we apply it. Today, we lift up Jesus Christ. This is worship. This is good. This service is put together in a way to make him great and for him to receive honor and glory. Don't approach that casually. Prepare your heart. Prepare your mind. And it is difficult. Verse 6. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar. And the Lord at the... Sorry. of the, sorry, Let me read through that again. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. This is basic instructions that we've already read in chapters 1 through 5, and again through 6 and 7. Verse 7, So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons, whom after they whore. This shall be a statue forever for them throughout their generations. So now we have a, a... a goat demon, pop up out of nowhere. This is one of those really obscure verses. You can highlight that, just like the one who has a discharge. If he spits on you, wash yourself. That was really random in chapter 15. We have some of those verses that come out of of nowhere, and it is in your Bible. But this records for us a a very common practice in ancient times, but not just among the pagans but among Israel herself. When they cry out to God under the oppression of Pharaoh, I don't believe they cry out to God. I think they cry out and God hears it. They've been influenced by Pharaoh. They've been influenced by the world. And as they journey through their history, they time and time again are found building Pillars and asherods in the field, sacrificing their children, making oaths, and being involved in wicked sin and wicked worship. God says in his law, you shall not worship. Well, goat is one of those really nasty animals especially male goats, they are stubborn, they are mean. Some of us can testify to that personally. Um, they are an honoring animal. And, it is, and they, they sometimes, in a way, represent harsh, dominant masculinity. They're, they're this power. If, if, if you have a male bull and a male goat, the goat has just the attitude and the drive to fight more so than the bull. You can look at a bull, you leave it alone. A lot of times it will leave you alone. Not with a goat. A goat pursues conflict and fight. You're not safe in its path. You do most of the, and I don't own one, but I've heard plenty of testimonies. You need a gate or something between you and that little beast. Well, people thought, well, with this power, with this ornery spirit if I sacrifice this, and if I drink its blood, its very spirit, its life, its attributes will become a part of me. I want to be strong. I want to be dominant. I want to be the oppressed one. Not the one to be oppressed, but the oppressor. And the Lord is saying, you're not to partake in this pagan worship. You're not supposed to be idolatrous over this stubborn being. It is unholy. So they are not to be involved in the cultic worship. Worship of other gods in this is also described as whoring. To worship other gods... To break the Lord's covenant is unfaithfulness to him. He sees it as a personal assault against who he is and what he has done. Worship to God is so important. And think how patient and loving he has been in this book so far Granting instructions to those that may have drinking blood offerings, built up images, bow down to false names and demons. Worship is important to him, and a divided heart is one he casts out. I want us to think about our culture and its feelings with worship. We have a lot of distractions when it comes to the idea of church. A lot of distractions. You might come to to WCC and be like, wow, that is completely different. It feels awkward. I don't understand it. Uh, You might have come, come to a church before and you'd be like, they just... They kind of covered every base, it felt homey, it felt good, or it was real big, or it was real small. Our culture has certain things in which we love, and because we live in this culture, it influences us, and some of us love big churches, some of us love small churches, some of us love churches that are really regaliant and have a lot of bells and whistles, and some of us really love modest churches. Some of us like to talk about how the church is the people, not the building. Some of us like music that is well performed, others like it where it's just a cappella. What does God's word say about church, though, about worship of Him? And this, is, this will step on the toes of anyone in our culture that we meet regularly. Uh, We're not to abandon the fellowship. We are to meet regularly and be faithful in our worship of God. That we are to elevate the triune God in worship, not our feeling, not our emotion, not a movie, not whatever is on the news. We're not here to, to have updates on what is on the news. I can't compete with those people, nor is it my interest. We are to worship God, We are to partake in the ordinances in a worthy manner. So, Aria, you didn't get baptized in the bathtub at home. You didn't do it in a a swimming pool at the YMCA. You were faithful into your church, and you got baptized with the congregation here before you. Beloved, when when you go home, you don't do communion on your own. This is is a, a meal enjoyed by the church. You don't do this on your own. There are certain rules in which God has placed for his church. So Israel had their laws, and we look at those and we say, wow. But then when we start applying some laws to New Testament believers, like regular fellowship and how to handle the ordinances, do you buck against it, or do you say yes and amen to it? My prayer is that you say yes and amen. Verses 8 through 9, we have all sacrifices to be offered outside the tabernacle, so it's going to be more than just uh, the three animals mentioned before. Verse 8, "...and ye shall say to them, anyone of the house of Israel, or the strangers who sojourn among them, who offer a burnt offering or sacrifice, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting, to offer it to the Lord." that man shall be cut off from his people. So it's become now broader in this situation in that this is not just apply to Israel, but if any individual is sojourning among them. And there were individuals that came across this holy people and said, we want to travel with you and we trust this God and we want to enter into covenant. Those individuals as well, though they are not Israel nationally, they are to follow in these instructions. This prevents them from syncretism, from an outsider coming in, and we want to bring our own traditions of worship, and we want to mingle it, and we'll kind of make it our own. And that is a war we still fight today. And that is something that, I mean, us elders, we still pray through and think through how we conduct our worship here, that it would enrich your lives, that it would honor God, that it would be faithful to Scripture, and that it wouldn't just be some cultural norm that we mimic. So Israel is to apply this law even to the sojourner when they handle animals. Verses 10 through 12, this is treatment of blood and diet. If anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. So, in this section, the Lord teaches that he will cut off an individual who does this. Now, we've mentioned this previously because Leviticus is very thorough. Um, Consuming the blood um, means that it's an animal that's been killed and the blood has not drained. That's their idea or understanding of of kosher. It hasn't coagulated inside the body if it's been strangled or something. It has been properly drained from from this animal. In this section, however, the Lord includes, I will set my face against that person. So he's making it, again, very personal. Wrong worship of me, I take offense to. So there's mention that life is in the blood, and I believe what's being emphasized in this is that all life belongs to God. Not just man and woman belong to God, but every beast of the field belongs to the Lord, and the blood is that which flows from it and allows it to live. In this section, he mentions, I have given it for you, To take on the altar for atonement. So there's intentionality of why blood flows for this animal and what you are to do for it. Don't cheapen it. It's for a covering. It's for your washing. It's for your soul. It's used to ransom you. And it forms as a payment. This blood makes atonement for the life in a substitutionary way. Before the Lord, they live ritually unclean and sinful. So what do they do? They bring a substitute. Something must die in their place. Life must flow out of something on your behalf. Now I want you to consider with me real quick Christ's instructions here. If you're able, turn to John 6. You're going to have to do a little bit of juggling, but... Keep your finger on Leviticus 16 and go to John chapter 6. And I wanted to think how Jesus exhorts his hearers to do something pretty obscure and radical. John chapter 6, verse 53 through 56. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, So think how that message is not just obscure to our culture, but think about Israel. Think about these Pharisees that have learned this book from the very beginning of their education. Think about the hearers that seek to be religious by following the laws of Moses and the relationship to blood. And then Jesus says, feast on my flesh and drink my blood. That is radical more so for them than for our Gentile ears. In this picture, Jesus is teaching symbolically that the feed on him is to hold on to him in faith, to receive him, for him to be within you. As Christ says this obscure command... In John 6, think how Christ is a better sacrifice. The life blood in him leads to everlasting life. The payment which he made is final. He doesn't have to get up on that cross a second or a third time. Once. He is the ultimate substitute This one sacrifice covers the sins of his people. Not just one home, but for his covenant people. Eat and drink. His blood, as Jeff has taught us in the book of Hebrews, he takes before the throne of God, not into a tent in the wilderness. Not into a temple that has been destroyed by the Romans, but to the eternal kingdom. And it is applied to all who will believe. It goes outside of this camp. Turn back, if you will, with me to Leviticus uh, 16 as we finish up. Leviticus 17, 13 through 16. This is instructions concerning hunted game. Anyone uh, anyone, also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. So stop there. So if you are not going to make an offering with this, if you are out in the wilderness, if you are traveling, if it's one of those travel days and you still having to come across something, you kill it. They didn't have refrigerators. Uh, Eating meat in their day was really a special event. Not everyone had meat every day. So if you come across it, pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature... For the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. So even if you're hunting, if you don't have sacrifice in your mind, you're still to handle this appropriately. It is the Lord's. It requires you to treat it as the Lord's and to respect it. We see that this same law is addressed in the book of Acts with the Jerusalem Council. This is something that's carried through even into the New Testament. That's why I I mark it. Because some Old Testament laws do not carry over into the New. But this is one that carries on over into the New. When, When there is a council in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit has come upon Gentiles, the disciples, the apostles, thinking, well, what do we do? And how can we live in right relationship with one another? And one of the things that was decided is, To be in good fellowship in covenant with God, you don't exercise in this pagan practice. You put this aside, there's no secretism. I don't believe, beloved, this law follows just because it's unsanitary and it's bad to your health. That's part of it. Oftentimes when we deviate from God's law, you find yourself unhealthy, but the focus is life is sacred. And when life is taken, you respond appropriately. And worship before God is sacred. And when you go to approach God in worship, you do so rightfully. Verse 15. And every person who, he, who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beast, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be clean until the evening. Then he shall be clean. If he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. And we come to the end of this chapter. And this is him saying, if you eat of an animal that dies not by your hand, or if it is killed by another animal and you decide that you still need to eat it, Simply bathe yourself, wash yourself. So there's, there's sometimes you break a law, and it is very significant. Other times we find that you simply bathe yourself. And it's, it's easy, and you're done. So that is all of Leviticus 17. And at the close of this, I want you to think about, seriously, the beauty of worship here. Think about the common things of your life. It's common to eat food. I want to encourage you the common things in life, hold on to them in a way that honors the Lord. The practices, the culture that is around you, please be very mindful of it. That which entices you, make sure that it is godly and it honors Him and not just your personality or your preference. If you're casual or if you are more formal, submit all things to Christ. Let's bow in prayer. True and living God, I thank you so much for your word and I thank you for sending us your son. Father, in this chapter, it becomes alive how we have a better sacrifice through Christ. I thank you that you have washed us in his blood and that those who believe on him and trust in him are washed clean. Holy Spirit, guide us as we seek to worship faithfully, as we seek to keep our worship pure,